Oh, man, that is a good song. I'd just play the whole thing and do it over and over and over again. People would be pretty happy, I you're, think. You're teasing them. Yeah, I am teasing <laughs> Mike Seminary filling in for uh, Tyler Axness. You'd normally be listening to Afternoons with Tyler, but he's on a well-deserved break, and I'm lucky enough to fill in for him. I have a guest. Oh, by the way, I'm going to give you the numbers again because I think during this segment, you're going to probably want to call. 237-5948-1-800-880-5346 or you can text to uh, hashtag KFGO5346. I have a good friend in the studio with me today, Tom Campbell. Tom, how are you? Hey, Mike. Doing great. Thank you for giving me this book about your father. Um, Name of the book, Guardian Angel, Personal Memories of World War II. This is over 75 years ago when he's detailing and sharing his experiences. He was a bombardier pilot for a B-17. By the way, over 50%, I think, is the number. These guys never came back, either because the planes fell apart or they were shot down or they became prisoners of war or whatever. Your dad was a hero, first of all. And I'm glad that Captain Paul E. Campbell uh, was encouraged to write this book, along with your daughter, I think. Mm-hmm. B-17 Flying Fortress Pilot, 401st Bombardier Group, 8th Air Force. Your dad was an incredible note taker, apparently, because this book is amazing, Tom. He he did, and he was, and um, thanks to my sister Diane Maholka, who I think is listening, um, she took his memoir papers and turned them into this book. And unfortunately, um, we didn't get it done in time. He died two months before we finished it, but it was his memoir papers, so obviously it was his stuff, so he knew it, but. Um, yeah, he was a note taker because back then, you know, how many people from 17 years old to 25 or 26, you know, would, would do that back then. There was no iPads or phones or anything electronic. So he just did it the old by hand in, in, in a wartime. So he, he, I commend him for doing that because he shared a lot of things that my sister Diane put in this book that we can value. And, and thank you for having me for just the appreciation we can give to my dad and all the all the World War II veterans and all veterans in general, because if it wasn't for people like him, you know, he risked his life, Mike, so you and I could live the American dream, which we did. And if it wasn't for that, um, we may be speaking German or Japanese. And uh, it was interesting. He always told me, I don't even know if this is in the book or not, but he always said that um, if it wouldn't have been for the bombing of Pearl Harbor, he said we may have lost the war because that was a blessing in disguise because that kind of got everybody fired up. And, you know, prior to that, a lot of people were against us entering in the Hitler war because they were saying, ah, it's not going to go anywhere. And uh, Joe Kennedy, you know, the ambassador to England, he was against it and strongly encouraged Roosevelt. No, we, we don't want to fight a war and on and on. And then the Pearl Harbor, that, that, you know, there was no question after that. Boom. We're, we declared two wars on again, Japan and then uh, Germany and, and Hitler. And he said that he heard on the radio stations that back then, probably one radio station in Grafton, that he said, sign up for the war. It's an excellent opportunity for adventure and a chance to see the world. 
And then he told me that in many cases, it was more than an adventure than they bargained for because there's so many people, you know, that had died. And, and you're right. The first one and a half to two years of the war, the B-17 pilots, 50% of them, when they flew the English Channel and bombed, never came back. They were either shot down, you know, POW'd or prisoners of war or died. And, uh, and I'll just explain to it. A lot of people don't know the basics. You know, my dad was stationed in uh, Deanthorpe, England, which is about an hour north of London in England. And they would always, that was, you know, the United States had an air base there. They would fly the English Channel, and they would bomb, at the time, German had control of France. And they would bomb mostly, primarily, France and, and German targets. They went to Poland a couple times, but that was a long ways away. They, you know, the 10 and a half hours was a long mission there and back. Many times, they would literally almost run out of fuel and make, some of them didn't even make the runway. And uh, so that's what they'd do. They would, you know, bomb strategic targets. Uh, he had, I think, once or once for sure, maybe twice to bomb Hitler. Uh, they missed, um, but uh, there was a lot of runways and uh, fuel oils and bridges and, and things of that nature. But of the 12,000 B-17s that were built, uh, 4,700 of them, 4,700 of them um, never made it back, were, were shot out, yeah. uh, shot uh, in, in the air. Tom, one of the, one of the questions I needed to ask you, like my dad never talked. He, he never really talked about his experience in the service. <laughs> he told my mom when she wanted to go on a cruise, he pretty much said, I've been on a cruise. I ain't going on another one. Because when you're on the, those old ships, they were full of barf. And mm-hmm. I'm just being as direct as possible. So dad never really talked about that stuff. Did your dad talk much about his experiences? Um, very little as well, especially the first part of my life, I guess, when we were younger. And then he opened up a little bit. Um, Mr. Jarvis was a uh, history teacher in, in Grafton, and he asked him to come once or twice and to speak in his class. And Dad reluctantly did. But So he opened up a little bit. But as most World War II vets, most of them didn't talk. They had a lot of ugly memories of friends you know, being blown up, and Dad's got stories of that. And uh, it, it was ugly. It, it was a brutal war and, you know, you know, prisoners of war and torturing. And, uh, you know, when his buddies, you know, the, the guardian angel, the name of that is, um, that's his 11th crew member. Uh, there's 10 crew members in a traditional B-17 aircraft. And his 11th crew was God, the guardian angel that guarded him because he had so many close calls of death or planes next to him that were shot down. And it was interesting, they always, and these were his buddies, you know, they were stationed them, and, you know, half of them, it'd be like if you and I flew to the Frisco Bison football game, and we knew that half of us weren't going to come back, you know, how, what would you, how would you feel? Yeah. You know, it's like, really, Dad? You know, and, and I asked him once, I said, Dad, I said, were you ever, were you ever scared? Or, and he goes, nah, we were too, his is word for word, we were too young, dumb, and patriotic. <laughs> And, but I think he must have been, or I don't know, but how could you not be when, you know, 50% of you were, and, you know, a POW in, in a prison camp where you heard a lot of these stories, these guys would roam around in France, you know, German-controlled territory, and they'd hide in barns, and one of the guys was, was for nine months, and, and finally um, he got caught, but it's like brutal, you know, starvation, starving, and, and you know, cars would come on the road, they'd run in the trees because they didn't know who it was, and... 
um, man, to, to live that life and how they sacrificed is just, it, it's just phenomenal what they went through. Yeah, so, you know, Tom grew up in Grafton, North Dakota, where my mother grew up and my uncle, who they just went to his funeral. Uh, and my grandma and grandpa had been gone a long time. So, and my mom's gone. So the library for us is closed. We, we can't access, except if I ask somebody like you some questions, the, uh, our library is closed. And one of the reasons I'm saying that, if you have loved ones that have served have done, or done something similar and you don't know much, ask before the library get, gets closed. So that leads me to this. When I'm reading this, there's so many names I knew, Tom, because I spent so much time with my grandparents. I'll get to that later. But one of the things your dad, in, when, it was incredible how he described this. On those long flights, six to 10 hours, he described how they had to relieve themselves in these old, you know, pretty rough, crude planes. It was not a pleasant experience. Dad always said that, you know, Boeing company manufactured these 12,000 planes and they were virtually flying tin cans. Well, we're going to hold it right there. Speaking of tin cans, we got to go for a commercial break and pray for this. You're listening to Afternoons with Tyler Actionist. I'm Mike Seminary with Tom Campbell. <laughs> oh, no, it's uh, Edgar Winter, I think, isn't it? Frankenstein? Oh, what a great, great what a great song. And Mike Seminary filling in for Tyler Actionist. I'm visiting with Tom Campbell, a good friend, and we're talking about a, a book. Uh, that his dad, well, I guess his dad didn't necessarily write it. He had all the notes and their personal memories. Your sister Diane really helped. Guardian Angel, Captain Paul E. Campbell. Um, one of the things that I noticed is, so, so there's, during that time, there's two theaters. There's the Pacific and Europe. And it was ugly. Um and your dad shared a lot of the ugly moments. But he would use some of the most interesting phrases that, so for example, you, you were a prisoner of war. He would say, Tom was a guest. <laughs> he, he, he was a guest of the regime or a guest of the Germans or a guest of the Nazis. I found that really interesting because... I said to myself, he must also have been a really sweet man. Yeah, I, I don't know if I'd classify him as that <laughs> sweet because he, he was, uh, you know, the old, the greatest generation, which is, uh, I think, 1901 to 1927. He was born in 1921. And uh, they were old school. You know, with my oldest sister, she always would come home and she she was a lovey, touchy-feely and, hi, Dad, I love you. And, and Dad would, the old school would never say, I love you. He didn't for many, many years. And finally, a few years before he died, he, my sister tells me the story that she said, I love you, Dad, like she do. And he, and he finally broke loose, and he says, me too. And that was a huge step for people that generation because they just didn't do that. But it is interesting when you comment about my dad. We were talking about the, the tin can. Yeah. Um, is, you know, Boeing manufacturer was zero comfort. It was virt virtually a flying tin can. They sat in a 2 by 12 for 10 to 10 and a half hours. 
and uh, um, and when they had to relieve themselves, well, they they always stationed it that they had before they were, they left, they all went to the bathroom, and if they had to go, you know, urinate, that was not not a problem. He said because you just do it in a can and, and set it behind you, and they were flying. It was sixty below at you know twelve to twenty five thousand feet, so that was and it froze. He says within one minute, but if you had to do the other job, he says that was a major problem. You you just discipline yourself that you never had to and every now and then he had was one chapter where one of his co-pilots that had a major deal and and uh it was it wasn't pleasant of the things that you would never think that happened in war you know of that nature that the things that you'd think that were minor <laughs> at the time were major <laughs> so, so I, I'm, I'm chuckling because every once in a while and he didn't go into great detail he'd share about how he and a buddy would stop in a pub um and and then later on, he described the incident that you just shared. And I said to myself, I don't know if I'd be in a pub. <laughs> no, <laughs> or, or maybe I would. <laughs> but in terms of controlling myself, I, I, I get it. Uh, I'm, I'm going to entertain myself because I'm going to go on a mission tomorrow. And your dad was a decorated mm-hmm. pilot, by the way. I'm going to go on a mission tomorrow. I might not come back, so I get that. But <laughs> just, it could be kind of hard to control yourself. On a six, eight, ten, twelve-hour flight. <laughs> but after a while, they they disciplined themselves, or <clears throat> they they made sure that it happened once. It didn't happen a second time, so they would eat properly, and they had a schedule of uh, the missions. But you know, getting back to the Pacific and the European Rim, that you know, we were fighting two wars, and of course, Dad was the European one with German, and and uh, it was uh, it was interesting that I always asked my dad, "Is says, we ever scared?" And he said. And this is the first and only time I ever, he ever commented to me was that when the, the, uh, 1925, the, the Germans were losing, the war was over. And then it was, they, they weren't sure what they were going to do because the Pacific Rim was still with the Japanese was still going on. And he was, a lot of people were on hold, you know, do we, do they need to send all these B-17 planes to the Pacific Rim, Japan, that area or not? And then of course the, the big atomic bombs were dropped. And I remember my dad, uh, he was confronted with some people one time about it was terrible that the, uh, those bombs were dropped. And I remember my dad, I was pretty young at the time, he commented if it wouldn't have been for those uh, Nagasaki and Hiroshima bombs that that saved hundreds of thousands of lives and it, the, the war came to an end. And, and I'm not promoting that at all, but I'm just telling you what my dad said sure. because of that. And because he said that as bad as the, German prison camps were and how ugly they tortured, but he says nothing was comparable to the Japanese prison camps. And he says he never wanted, he always said he, he had resistance. He would have, if he'd had to, but he says, thank God for those mm-hmm. two atomic bombs because he was always scared of being a POW in a Japanese prison camp would have been World War Three. That would have been <laughs> ugly, ugly, he said. Yeah, I've read a number of times that people that uh, called, when they compared the two, the European theater was a gentleman's war compared to the Pacific. When we get back, I want to go into some more details about your dad and the relationships and the, the reunions, all that kind of thing. You're listening to Afternoons with Tyler Axness. This is Mike Seminary filling in with my guest, Tom Campbell, talking about his hero father, Paul Campbell. Oh, man. I, I, I'd like to come back every day just to listen to Eric's music. Every yeah, single day. I mean, yeah, I it's, love, it's not I, I the same the listening at home. It's, it's different in here, isn't it? Yeah. Mike Seminary filling in for Tyler Axis. I'm in studio with my guest, 
Tom Campbell were talking about a book his father wrote in part with his sister Diane, Guardian Angel, but Captain Paul Campbell, a war hero, served, he, he did two tours. Yes, which is very unusual. Uh, one, no, one tour, yeah, actually two tours. Um, a mission, there's 25 missions per tour, and he did two tours, which I think didn't quite finish it, 48 or 49 of the second one, which is unrare because most of them didn't make it, yeah. the odds, especially that first one when the first two years of the war was very risky. Was it in between those two? He was on leave. He came back here and he met Marietta? Yes, he met my mother. And uh, um, and then he always says that after the war, he started his most important mission. <laughs> that was <laughs> raising seven kids and getting married. And she was a war bride. You know, there's hundreds of thousands of men, you know, from 1945 to 48 or 49 that got married after the war. And, and the how, baby boomers. Refresh my memory. How old was he when he enlisted? Well, he was born in 19, March 1921, and he was a little older than average. He was, I think, uh, well, he'd have been in 19, <clears throat> I'm 41, he'd have been 20. So he's been uh, 21, 22, and 23 when he was there, yeah. r- roughly, give or take. So. And the average age of the, I think the average age of a pilot was like 20. So, no, no, the average age of a pilot was like 25 or 26. Okay. A lot of them came from <clears throat> the, uh, uh, the academies, <clears throat> and they were educated. My dad never went to college, but he took a college exam. And he clepped out of that. So he got his college degree, in essence, kind of a... Back then, it wasn't online, but it was just like online. It was correspondence. They got they took it through correspondence, they called it. And so he... I think he did it in a year and a half. So he kind of, in essence, got his college degree. So that's why he got into... Because to be a captain or a pilot, you had to be... You had to come from um, a schooling or part of that. That uh, So he kind of bypassed that. And he always said... He, it was a lot of just common sense questions in the test, but... Um, so he, he became a pilot, and he never became a pilot before. And when he came back, he never flew again, hardly at all, for many, many years until him and my mother did a little bit of traveling. But they drove everywhere because he just didn't – bad memories. The war just didn't want to get back in a plane. Oh. Some of his buddies became, you know, Hot Hudson and Graft and had started their air, air spray, you know, crop dusting services, but not my dad. I, I totally understand it. I mean, you know, the other thing he detailed, which I really appreciated, was – after the reunions they'd participate in, they would travel the country. They were, I don't know how organized they were. But obviously, somebody was organizing them. But he would go into great detail about, you know, we, we met here in Germany, where we met here, and then here's what this person was doing after. And I just need to share one of the, one of the stories because I thought it was fascinating. Delbert Wong. Delbert was the first judge in the continental United States that was of Chinese descent, and he was a bombardier pilot. He was the first of Chinese descent to graduate from Stanford Law. And then when he and his wife wanted to buy a home, the realtor didn't want to work with them. But he fixed that right away, considering that he became a judge. But this guy became a legend in the practice of law in California. And you, mm-hmm. your dad and Delbert knew each other. That's just fascinating. Th- those reunions were, we went as a family. My two oldest sisters, Jeannie and Carol, have gone now since my dad's passed away many years ago. They still go because most of the 
the veterans, World War II veterans are, are passed away. And a lot of the next generation has continued to keep on. But we went one time when they dedicated the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. And that was kind of cool. That was, it was like red carpet treatment. And that was the only reunion I went to. And yeah, it was the memories they had. And dad used to drive a lot across the country. And he'd always go out of his way to stop at old, you know, his old buddies in the war that he hadn't seen probably for 30, 40, or 50 years. And um, he had all kinds of stories. One, I don't, I don't remember the names, but it was in the book, or he told us that um, when when a, another plane would be shot down, and they always had to fly in their, in their squadrons, that was very strong discipline. And many times for 10 hours, if you weren't the lead pilot, you had to follow the wing behind you, specific formation, so the Japanese fighter pilots couldn't attack you as easily. Because there's a science to that. And if you weren't the lead pilot, you, you'd have to spend 10 hours sometimes keeping your wing one or two feet at 12,000 feet flying 170 miles an hour from touching that. And that's, so that's all you did. It was, it was no fun. He said, <laughs> and it was no autopilot. It was no fun at 60 below <laughs> half of you being shot down, you know? And he says, yeah, we were there seeking, you know, to experience these adventures of life. And he said, it was, he said it was more than a lot of ventured out, but he, he said when a, one of the planes, half of them would get shot down, they'd see it right there, of course. And they would, always look to see how many shoots came out because there's 10 crew member per plane. And he said, a lot of times they'd see seven. And then that meant that three guys didn't make it that died or, and then of course the seven that were, you know, they were POW and sometimes they didn't make it or sometimes they're half dead flying, you know, down in a parachute. But that was, I always found that interesting that they would look to see how many shoots opened. It's like, wow, that's like how many buddies are alive. I always found that really interesting. When and he said and then he'd go into detail about, how difficult it was to get out of the plane. It was not easy. It was, and that's, maybe that's one of the reasons they counted, because uh, you, you know the number of shoots, and if it's a way to get to that plane, to, because you know they're in there. Cause, by the way, there was a little bit of a maverick in your dad. He, he like the movie Maverick, where they a couple of times flew, how can I say this? Um, let's just put it out of formation. And, and I really enjoyed reading that about, about your father. Well, at, at training school and stuff, they would do that a couple of times. They would fly over some, <clears throat> you know, cattle farmers and scare the, and then they flew under some bridges. They did some things that they shouldn't have did, but Hey, if, you know, 17 to 24 years old, gone for three and a half years, I'm, I'm sure they did a lot of things that aren't in a lot of books that we, that we'll never know what happened. I appreciated how he, would describe some of the targets. It wasn't about people. It was about this factory or these roads or, or this critical infrastructure. If they could get, if they could take it out, that could make a huge difference in the, uh, the war and eventual victory. But he never talked about people. He talked about the targets that they needed to take out in terms of infrastructure. Yeah. And that's a good point. You know, ball bearing plants, <clears throat> refineries, um, manufacturing plants, airplanes, and things like that. But he also did say that when they bombed, they, they knew there were a lot of people's lives were lost, but they just didn't dwell on that because you, you couldn't because no. the, the pain and the torture. But it's war. You know, when you're, you're at war, it's just horrible time, and it's unfortunate that a lot of things happen that normally wouldn't happen. But it's interesting when getting back to those POWs, he said in Germany, if you're a lot of these POWs, um, you were glad to see the German um war people 
take you as prisoners because a lot of the civilians there would shoot you because they thought we were the bad people and we had been destroying their crops and bombing and stuff. And we were so, so a lot of the civilians were tougher than that. So, you know, in Germany as a POW, you were confused. You couldn't speak their language and you're wondering who's, you couldn't go to a guy's house because most of them didn't like us. So you almost were glad to see a German um, soldier take you as a prisoner because then you at least you had a chance of surviving, which yeah. is kind of amazing. You know, the when when I read your 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 dad's book, I couldn't help but reflect on other really best selling books I've read about war, Greatest Generation, um, Flags of Our Father, and he, in many ways, wrote similarly with regards to the great challenge, the great sacrifice, um, and um, also made it pretty personal because these were your mates. And a lot of them you lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, <clears throat> there's a lot of, it goes into that whole, the guardian angel, it protected his plane because he was one of the 50% that survived. And he had a lot of close calls where his elevators were shot up in, in, in the back of the plane. It's, it, it allows you to go up or down. And, uh, um, and he, at the last minute, he, did, he used this trim tab, which is, it's another little, at the end of the elevator that you use it, it's like a cruise control. And, uh, and um, he thought of using that, which is unheard of, and that saved him, uh, saved her life. And it, was, it was one of those close calls he had of, of many. But the biggest thing of the guardian angel was the fact that he was never shot down. It was always the other plane that was killed or missing in action or POW'd. So How did he meet Marietta? He met her back in Grafton when he was on leave. And then um, he uh, wrote a lot of letters. You know, my dad was a note-taker and a writer and stuff, and he wrote a ton of letters. And we actually have a lot of them still that uh, they communicated. And back then, you know, sometimes they'd write a letter and she wouldn't get it for probably a month or two. And when we come back from our break, we'll see if we can get a couple calls. And there's a couple other questions I have, but feel free to share anything you like. I'm visiting with Tom Campbell, Mike Seminary, filling in for Tyler Axness. I'm going to read a couple of segments from the book. In peacetime, it had been known as the liner United States, now converted to a troop ship for 20,000 men. And then I go down, what a joke that turned out to be with 80% of the passengers being seasick. So much of this seasickness occurred while in the chow line. One erp could be followed by 40 more. What a mess. (laughs) He should have been wearing a rubber suit, or at least depends, because he was an absolute stinking mess. He is not too eager for my recanting this odor episode at reunions because we still get nauseated at the thought of it. So, <laughs> Tom, begs the question, your dad must have upped for a second tour. Why do you think that was? You know, and I just text my sister, we don't know because I think technically you only had to fly one tour, which is 25 missions, which is hardly anybody even lasted that long. So, and he's never mentioned it. Nobody knows. And I guess, um, I, I don't know. I'm going to have to find out. But my sister, who knows more than all of us put together, she doesn't know either. So I do not know that. That's interesting. But I think <clears throat> he was pretty patriotic and he came back over after his 15 days. He took a boat home for his R&R. That's when he met my mother. And uh, um, I just think that, that he, uh, 
he oh he was a you know he was a captain he was a senior and he ended up leading some of the squadrons and i think he was probably well liked because he was one of the older ones and mature ones there's a lot of young people coming in to replace the people that passed away and i, I probably just maybe the seniority and experience just wanted to stick around i don't know you know we kind of opened up this segment you're making the comment i'm par- paraphrasing that were it not for people like your dad and so many others that served during World War II in the European and Japanese theater, we might not be speaking English. I mean, it was a very, it was a close call. And as you mm-hmm. read some of the very detailed accounts of what was happening at the time, there were times we kind of got lucky. Mm-hmm. But the greatest luck we really all have is that we were blessed with patriotic guys like your dad and so many others that made the decision, you know, after that day of infamy, mm-hmm. uh, we need to do something, and he did. Yep, he was. Like he said he was just too young, dumb, and patriotic. You know, not not dumb, but he said he was. But yeah, it was, yeah what would we do without him? We'd be speaking German. Did you ever become a pilot? Yes, I was a pilot. Yep. Uh, yep. Not not not, a, not not just a civilian. Not yeah. I never. It was peacetime. It was fortunate for me for I never even had to list for the draft yeah. because of the two times right. in the history of the United States that. What did he peacetime. think when you decided to learn how to fly? Not much, not much. He was he was kind of a workaholic and old school and stuff, and didn't. Uh, I I got checked out solo when I was 16th birthday, young age, and I got my license at my youngest age, so I was young and and um, he didn't. Not much. He, he never wanted to come up with me though to fly, and because uh, he, he just didn't. He had that stigma of. He had enough for just the bad memories of it, I think, and I don't know why, but he never wanted to come up and just didn't think much of it. So we have a caller, Paul, on the line. Welcome to Afternoons with Tyler Axness. Paul, how are you? I'm excellent. Happy New Year to you guys. Uh, thank you so much for having your guest on, and uh, it's brought back a lot of memories. I lost that, Eric. Paul, we lost you. I, 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 bad connection. Are you still there? I am still here. Go ahead. Hang on. We got about um, 30 seconds left. Go ahead. Okay. My dad was a Navy pilot, World War II in the South Pacific, flew a PBY, and I swear uh, Mr. Campbell was describing my father. Um, never talked about it. Never said I love you. Never flew again after the war. And... Uh, Brought back a lot of memories of him, so thank you for that. Thank, hey, th- you thank you for his Paul. father's service. Thank you so much. And, Tom, thank you for sharing yep. this story, and thank your sister. It's been a pleasure, folks, filling in for Tyler. Happy New Year to you. Uh, we have a lot to be thankful for. But make a difference next year for all those people that uh, you associate with. It's been a pleasure riding with you today.